0: So, welcome back to Success Stories Podcast. My name's John Belton and I'm joined today with Irish rugby legend Paul O'Connell. Paul, good to talk to you.
1: Good How to are talk you? Good to talk to you too, John. I'm very well, thanks. Very well, very well. I must apologise. To... I've done a few of these in the last few weeks, but I've done them late in the evening when the kids are in bed, so we've three kids around the house here at the moment so if one of them bursts in i kick them out lively but maybe one or two interruptions
0: that's absolutely understandable in this day and age with the way things are going and that probably leads me on to the very first question which um which i ask everybody joining in and you know this whole podcast is around success and it has many different meanings as as you know as you know um, and what what would you say if someone was to ask you what success means? What's your your quick synopsis as as to what success is?
1: Um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a quick synopsis. Uh, I would have been on a journey of trying to figure that out. I would say that um, very much in my early years, you know, I came in and started playing with Munster in two thousand and one. They'd just been in the European Cup final the year a year and a half previous in in two thousand, and they'd got into the semi-final of the European Cup the, the following year and there was a massive yeah. following behind them and there was this journey towards winning the European Cup so back then success for me was very much about playing for Munster and winning a European Cup you know uh, playing for Ireland and and winning a grand Slammer of six nations and if it didn't mm-hmm. happen I was pretty miserable uh, success for me back then was all about winning and losing um, okay. And I think, you know, it can lead to some very big highs and some very low lows. And uh, I would have gone on a journey then throughout my career, probably, I think, of of trying to figure all that out. Because we were very, very successful at Munster in my early time there and, and midway through my career with an incredible team, with the practically one to ten of the Irish rugby team were Munster. We went on the Lions in 2009. There was eight, I think, eight Munster players selected for the Lions tour, which you know, if you get eight players from your country in in Ireland selected for a Lions tour, it's a big deal, not to mention eight players from one team. So we did this incredibly good team. So setting the bar of success at winning and losing the European Cup was actually very reasonable, but I suppose then over time with the AIL diminishing, we didn't produce the same players we did in the past. And Munster, you know, I suppose the baton transferred over to Leinster and the majority of the Irish team became Leinster players. But our fans and us as players still wanted and expected to win the European Cup and success was still measured by winning the European Cup. And I found that during those years when we were struggling, I found you know, I was quite miserable at times and struggling to enjoy rugby. And um, um Yeah. And that's when I probably had to go on that kind of journey of trying to figure out what success was and what it wasn't. And I, I I would have read an awful lot of stuff during my time as a player, a lot of sports autobiographies, a lot of sports psychology books. And even though I never really I, I worked with lots of psycho- sports psychologists in rugby, I enjoyed I enjoyed when they were part of the team and I enjoyed when, you know, you'd be standing beside them in the queue for the airport or you'd be sitting beside them for breakfast or you'd be, you know, at dinner with them and they'd be chatting to someone else about something. And uh, But I remember... Uh, I, I I I remember a few things happened. Project Harrington came in and spoke to us first and foremost in, in 2008, mm-hmm. 2009, came into the Irish team. I know this is a long answer now. You asked me for a short answer, but. No, I, I love I it. Just- It has a good ending, I hope. But Paddingham Harrington came in and spoke (laughs) to us in 2009 and it was absolutely incredible. It was over winter. Um, It was Declan Kidney's first year in charge. He came in and spoke to the Irish team. But he he, he gave a brilliant speech just about his own career and what he does to practice and all these different things. So if you're into golf, it was amazing. But you didn't need to be into golf for it to be amazing. And one of the things he did at the end, he gave Mm -hmm. us his top five recommended uh, books. And one of them was a John Wooden book. Who's this amazing basketball coach in America? um, Coached, um, I think uh, uh, he he coached a university team in America. But they won, I think they won ten championships in a row, and it might have been under undefeated for three and a half years. But he was this old school guy, and very much into coaching, but very much into coaching with values. And I remember reading one of his, one of the books he recommended was a small little book. It was a, a blue book um, written with by John Wooden and I think a guy called Steve Jemison. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was just very small little one-page, little anecdotes, little stories, stuff you could pick up. If you were reading yeah. another book, like if you were reading a fiction book of John Grisham or a Michael Connolly to help you go to sleep, you could... You didn't need to be following this John Wooden book. It was just small little anecdotes, and, and it was brilliant, and it was so simple, and it was all about the the values behind his coaching. But he had a brilliant definition of success, in it, and his definition of success is success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction, and knowing you did your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. Now, that is a long-winded, uh, For I would have my own version, which I would have taken off him and, and changed, which is the success is the peace of mind will come co- comes from doing everything you can to be the best you can be. So I would have yeah. read that quote back then around 2009, 2010, liked it, maybe didn't pay too much attention to it, um, and moved on. Enda McNulty then, as I said, would have worked as a sports psychologist with the yeah. Irish rugby team um, and he would have, you know, he's a very well-read guy and I would have you know, I would have done a few one-on-ones with him, but mainly I enjoyed, as I said, I enjoyed, you know, walking to the terminal in the airport on the way to an Ireland-England game. You end up chatting to him while he's chatting to someone else. And I remember one time he gave me a card. Yeah. Uh, I think his card, I think, I'm not sure, that, was it his business card or was it a card with just some reminders of, of things? But on the back of it was that John Wooden quote again. And I would have glanced at it and liked it and probably not paid a lot of attention to it. And then, just then, I suppose, after that time around 2011, 2012, we were really struggling with Munster. And that's when I was trying to figure out the answers around. I was also not playing as well because I'd had a lot of injuries. I couldn't play as well as, Mm -hmm. as I used to. And I was just trying to figure out you know, am I going to spend the rest of my career miserable because we're not winning things? (laughs) Or or am I just, you know, or am I, or am I actually going to enjoy being a professional rugby player and doing something that I love? And that's when, that's when I suppose I started probably paying more attention to this, to this quote. And that quote is, it's the last page on my book, actually that quote is mentioned. And I, I think it's, I think it's the, it's the best definition of success out there. It's the peace of mind that comes at doing everything you can to be the best you can be. It has nothing mm-hmm. whatsoever to do with winning and losing um, at the end of the year or picking up a trophy or what, or getting picked on the on the team or whatever it is. So, so that would be my journey around success, and that would be my definition of success that I like the most.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes a huge amount of success. Uh, sorry, a huge amount of sense. Um, and it, I mean, looking from the outside in at a man who captain his province, captain his country and, and the lines and achieved a huge amount. You know, it's it's easy to kind of come into a talk like this or have, you know, chat with you and sort of you know, put you on a, on a pedestal, which you are on and say, you know, geez, you're the most successful second row Ireland has seen and all of the rest of it. But like the the stuff that really... I get, I get interested in, I mean, after reading your book, which is a, is a brilliant read and now I, I have to admit, it, it's a number of years since I got it and my mother very quickly took it off me. She's one of the, one of those die-hard Munster fans that lives in Leinster and is from Leinster and has no reason to be a, a Munster fan. But um, I mean, growing up and, and throughout the early noughties and into the 2006 upward sort of era, she was a huge Munster fan and stuck to everything that was going on. So she took most uh, of the, the book from me very early, but I... Uh, the the big things that I see in in that you know that comes from the book is, and I, I think it's something that kind of helps me maybe resonate, you or makes you very relatable and a you know very down to earth human sort of person is the fact that you you seem to have had a huge family grounding. I mean, your two brothers who knocked you around the place and challenged you with sport and this that and the other, and your parents who got up in the middle of the night to bring you swimming and you know t- you know believed in you and all of that sort of stuff. So. Do you feel like your your drive and your your success and your everything else has came from any one thing, or do you think it's an accumulative? You know, from an early stage, or I, I think just something in the swimming book where you told one of the kids you were racing against, you told their mom that you were going to beat them, or something like this.
1: Yeah. Was yeah, that, a, yeah.
0: Was that a, a confidence that was just naturally there, or was this something that was trained in from? you know parents or maybe the community that you grew up in or how does how do you how do you cultivate something like that
1: well that confidence was was only there from a a very young age and that was a confidence more born out of naivety than anything else Um, I I, I mean (laughs) I I actually remember I didn't I didn't tell I didn't tell his mother that that I I was going to be her son I, I wasn't telling her uh, boasting, I was telling her like I was just delivering a fact, you know. I was telling her yeah. like <laughs> I was telling her the news, it was, but I was only nine or yeah. ten. But I, I probably yeah. might have been a little bit big headed around swimming when I was young, and that would have been knocked out of me then. I think by, by some of the older kids who would have spotted it, and mm, that Like, yeah, would have slagged me about it. And I would have kind of gone, Actually, I need to keep my mouth shut a little bit now, but well, I, I, I would have. Yeah, I would have never been overly confident. I mean, I would have been always, uh, I would have had lots of doubts. Um, and, and I think those doubts make you prepare well. Um, yeah. prevent you from becoming complacent. Now, it adds to the nerves and it probably doesn't help the preparation at times. And that would have been another journey that I would have had to go on in terms of trying to figure out a lot of that stuff. Because, I mean, um, yeah. you know, I would have had a problem at times in my career where I would have gone into the change rooms before games. I would have had to walk straight into the toilets and, and vomit. You know, I would have just been so nervous. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, would have, I would have been very difficult to be around the night before games. Um, I would have been planning my retirement the night before games on the and on the bus on the way to games and then, you know, once mm. the game kicked off I was fine. But that would have been another piece that I would have had to to to, to figure out. But the motivation thing, which is what you start and you asked me about, I mean I, I would have a good definition of, of success and I would have been really happy with how I define success and it would have allowed me prepare really really well towards the end of my career even though I had lots of injuries and even though Munster were struggling um, at the time but motivation is one that I, I find hard to put my finger on at times I mean it, it's just never it was it's never good. ever a struggle for me you know I had lots of injuries I mean you know there's no injury is good, but it's great when you do get an injury like, you know, you, 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 you pull your calf and you go into the doctor or the physio and they tell you it's going to be six weeks. Um, and you walk out the door and you say, I'm going to do everything I can possible to make this injury a six week injury, nothing more um, and maybe even mm-hmm. a little bit less. But I would have had plenty yeah. of injuries as well then where I would have been told we don't know how long this is going to take. Um, And those Mm -hmm. ones are really, really difficult to survive. But motivation to train, to prepare, to play big games, to play the small games, to play, you know, Gwent Dragons away from home on a Friday night. I never, ever struggled with that. And I don't exactly know why. I, I don't exactly know why. I think my upbringing would probably be a big part of it. I used to swim a lot when I was young. Um, I trained more, I would say, when I was 12, 13 years of age as a swimmer than I ever did as a professional rugby player in my, in my career. Mm. So people that swam growing up would know that. I mean, I would have yeah. trained six to eight before school, Tuesday and Wednesday, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, six to seven after school, seven to nine on Friday nights, nine to 11 Saturday morning and eight to 10 Sunday morning. So I knew how hard you had to work to get good yeah. at something. So rugby, yeah. then for me, was like training on Tuesday and Thursday, and uh, maybe do some weights and some running. I was like, this is actually very easy in comparison to what I've been doing. This rugby. is easy. So, yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, so motivation so, for me, it's and I've had plenty of people ask me about motivation and and how do you how, how did you stay motivated? How did you motivate other people? staying motivated for me was never ever a struggle and I don't know exactly why. Mm-hmm.
0: No I can relate to that. I think in my industry people are always, you know, they they say they struggle with motivation to go to the gym or they struggle and and it's always something that I just find very hard to 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 kind of encapsulate or teach or to, you know, to write down and tell someone how to be motivated because you know, I don't. I think once you work hard and you you add anything, whether it's a sport or whether it's training in the gym or whether it's, you know, um, business or anything else, if you work hard at it, then you know, that's the motivation just comes as part of the actual doing. That that'd be my view of it. And um, like the swimming and that background of, of building up and all of that time, and um, yet you, you, I was so surprised to read from the book that even you know as things moved on and you started to. Get you know challenged a little bit more, I suppose, by guys a little older than you. Whatever else with swimming, that um, the self doubt and the fear and that internal dialogue are things that seem to have been something that, you know, from the outside looking in, no one would have thought thought there was anything going on there at all. But definitely something that you were you were battling with throughout your career. And um, would that be fair enough to say that it w- that's that is the battle, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. And listen, I would have had no, I would have had no. I would have never really worked with a sports psychologist you see we're, we're we're lucky in rugby in that um you work with a sports psychologist and the fact that the the word psychologist has sports in front of it, it's not taboo there's not a problem yeah. you know mm-hmm. whereas uh, sometimes if you say to someone uh, you know if you're in a a normal line of work and I mean a normal line of work like an office job, if you were to sit down at lunch and say, I'm working with a psychologist. Uh, every day, people will be kind of looking at you like just something wrong with you that has mm-hmm. to be fixed. Whereas sports psychology in rugby or in, in in sports, obviously, or psychology in sports is about getting the best out of yourself. Mm-hmm. And and while we may know all the stuff we have to do in the gym um, and on the pitch and you know in the pool or whatever it is around training, there's a whole lot of shortcuts we can do to help ourselves uh mentally that you know unless you've unless you've done the qualifications unless you've guys that are experienced with talking yeah. to people in a similar position to you there's all this there's all this knowledge out there that probably I think people maybe in an office environment that want to perform at a really high level the psychology part of it uh they're actually leaving behind and before I would have met a sports psychologist, I would have been very negatively motivated. You know, it would all about it would have been all about being, you know, almost uh, using negative emotion to motivate myself um, to, and to drive yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And while while that works to a certain extent, it can be very, very draining. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, as I said, going to games going to a game and 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 having to vomit in the change room before you go out onto the pitch or or going to a game and and you know imagining imagining the the scenario and how depressed you'll be if you lose um, going not, to a it, game and yeah it's not it's not healthy and it just yeah. it's not it's not going to help you perform at your best it does sometimes certainly and i think that People want to get away from that always. People want to try and solve. I want to go to the game and be really relaxed and all this. That's well and good for some people, but it's not great for other people. And certainly for a second row forward, you're actually going into battle, you know. You're going into a real physical battle and you have to be a little bit nervous. There has to be a little bit of doubt to stop you from becoming complacent and to get you ready for that battle. But they're definitely – I was gone too far the other way and that's where – as I said, you know, I worked with Caroline Corrid, um, and she was probably another sports psychologist. She was just starting out as well, and I mm. was just starting out in a journey of trying to figure some of these things out so that I like, yeah. feel better around the big game, so yeah. I ended up working with her for a while. Enda McNulty was with the Irish team, and I would have done plenty one-on-ones with Enda McNulty, but as I said, I really enjoyed my you know he might Just have been sitting down at the yeah he might have been sitting down at the breakfast table talking to Johnny Six about yeah. kicking and and I sit down beside them to you by breakfast listen to their whole conversation ask them <laughs> quick and, and take a few bits out of that so. yeah
0: it's less intimidating maybe or it's less you know, the indirect approach of, of hearing this maybe was enough, or something. You know, I mean, I think sometimes that that like again, that association of sitting down with a therapist and sit or lying down on the couch while the therapist is asking you how you feel is just, I'm sure for a second row forward, obviously not the type of approach you'd want. But hearing, I mean, it's I'm always so surprised by that, and and to to kind of echo what you were saying there, um, about people who want to perform at the top of their game. You know, they should be have there should be something around their mental game in there as well if that's uh, again corporates or anybody else like working on how you, you, that conversation you have with yourself i think is is one of the most destructive or can be one of the most destructive or constructive things in your life i mean i love it another li- line i'm not going to keep quoting stuff from your book but i think you said that in 2006 you didn't believe in positive thinking i think was one of your lines <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. which uh, which is a which is a great one um, and you like that, you also then say how you, some of your best rugby was played around then. Maybe that was your age and, you know, maybe maturity brought with it an open mind to to, to kind of growth. Or, you, you know, there's a whole lot of different factors to it. It's, it's very funny that, you know, the psychology piece is something, again, that um, when you work on it, all of this stuff starts to come up, and you know sometimes it can feel like it sets you back a little bit because you realize, geez, I didn't realize I was so negative towards myself, and that it's not normal to be puking before a game. Um, and yeah, but, yeah. but in that, it's not the lovely side to it. You you meet a new side to yourself, and then you figure that out. And um, you know, uh, do you think that on some levels, Paul, the people, I mean, so you're obviously physically and you know mentally, you were you had a lot a lot. That got you where you got to, but do you think that there are people that you've seen who are great athletes in many formats, but just miss the cut because of their mental game, or do you feel like it's just something that they never had there?
1: Um, yeah, I think one hundred percent. There's brilliant rugby players uh, who, who who don't make it because of their mental game. You know, they're co- constantly in a kind of a, a victim. They constantly see, see themselves as the victim. Yeah. And there's another guy uh, who I listened to and I've read some of his books. Is is Willink. Wellingk?
0: Willink, I met him
1: briefly before. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, he he has a he has a book, and um, the only thing, like all these books, they're all so big, but they could actually be about fifty pages long, and you mm-hmm. get the message fine. And that's the annoying thing about it. But he his book is called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. And uh, and. If you just understood what he meant by stream ownership, to me, that's all you need to get from the book. And it just means every situation that you're in that that doesn't work out, you, you blame yourself. You look at it and you say, okay, how could I? So, you know, you play a game and the referee absolutely screws you. But there's probably a whole host of things you could have done before that game to prepare for that referee to avoid a certain amount of those penalties that tilted the game and you ended up and, and you may be right. The referee may have had a really bad game on going against you, but mm-hmm. and, and Joe, Joe Schmidt was brilliant at, at that. I remember he used to say things like, we'll never blame the guy in the middle. We'll always yeah. take responsibility on ourselves. And, mm-hmm. That was a bit of a shifted attitude for me because, you know, I, I did like to blame the referee. When yeah. he did have a really, really <laughs> That's a very game, Irish whereas, thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. whereas Joe always liked to blame us for how we prepared for that referee. Now, he'd be still tough enough on the referee as well, I'm sure, in his one-on-one review after it, but he always was tough on us in terms of how we prepared to deliver the habits that were required to avoid being penalised by that referee, and mm-hmm. um, and and th- th- that's that total responsibility, taking responsibility and ownership for everything. So, like, even if you have, uh, you know, a situation w- w- with your with your boss or your coach where he has misinterpreted something, and and it's his fault for misinterpreting it, you take responsibility yourself because you didn't explain it clearly enough, or you didn't actually nipping in the bud when the misinterpretation mm-hmm. started happening and say look this is on me here I actually didn't explain this properly and so that's extreme that, that extreme ownership or just and I wouldn't say it's blame yourself mentality it's more about look at yourself first uh, what could I have delivered, delivered differently before I get stuck into someone over this incident that's happened and I think I think that is a very, that is a very important attitude. That not a lot. I think it's less prevalent than it used to be. Really? Um, and I think I think guys now are, yeah. I think we're, we're too eager to point the finger at other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, do you mean in life in general here, or with in in the uh, rugby world? I just or? think
1: in sports and, and in the in, the, in yeah. the rugby world. You know, you gotta you gotta put your hand up. You gotta do absolutely everything possible yourself. To, to to leave the person who's who has to pick you or or, or or to give you the pay rise or to increase your contract or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. You gotta leave every stone uncovered yourself first. Um, yeah. and then and then look at other people. I think that that ownership piece or that responsibility piece is just is is more important than ever. And I think it's a real way of actually separating yourself at the moment because even you look at it on Twitter, there you look at people. You know the negativity, righteousness, and the the moral. You know the amount of people that take the moral high ground when other people make mistakes, and mm-hmm. um, is incredible now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it is. It's. I mean, my my next question I was going to come to you after you started talking about about extreme ownership was how you took that, and um, and then you know a, a, another big challenge. Uh, that you seem to have taken in your stride was becoming a leader a leader of men on a rugby pitch um in both as a coach and as a as a captain of you know Lions teams Munster, ireland etc um you know it's hard to take when you've got your own battles that are going on um and then to to bring that and to be at the forefront of the pack the the leader etc and and the captain <clears throat> did you find that with that came obviously more responsibility. Was it an easier challenge when you had a team you were minding? Or is there, I mean, when it comes to leadership now as a small business owner with a team of people, you know, that's one of my challenges at the moment is learning how to be the right type of leader. And I had to accept that extreme ownership piece myself where I, you know, it is very easy to blame somebody else for not, you know, being able to read my mind and doing something the way I want them to do it. And how, like, what challenges as a captain of, you know, a panel of men that are, you know, huge personalities and have maybe egos and are, you know, very experienced and perhaps guys who, who you've been battling at provincial level and even national level. How is, what, what sort of challenges does a leader face when they step into a changing room in front of them and you have to give them the the fear of God talks?
1: Yeah, I I, I suppose, first of all, I, I came in, up in a very good environment in Munster where I think people took on leadership roles very naturally so you know Mick Galway, Anthony Foley um, Rona Gara, Peter Stringer, Callan, and everyone were encouraged by Declan Kidney as suppose, to have an opinion and they were encouraged to lead by their example and their actions mm-hmm. um, and um, um, so, so there was a very good environment there and you were always encouraged to, to lead in whatever way you thought fit. you know Doneco Callan wouldn't have I think wouldn't have spoken a lot in the change room, but he would have trained incredibly hard. He would have, everywhere we went, he would have brought his own meals. Um, (laughs) You know, he never drank, he never smoked. Really? No, never, ever in his life. He, He was, you know, he was an absolute model of professionalism. So, I mean, I used to copy and paste loads of the stuff he was doing. And, you know, he'd say to me, listen, I'm working with a really good nutritionist she's excellent uh she isn't working with Ireland or Munster or anything I just find it myself I think it'd be well worth your while giving her a call
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and you know and then I do that he there's a guy called Dave Evans at the moment he's the Munster Ireland and he was on the last lines tour physio yeah. oh, not physio sorry masseur okay. um Donico Callaghan found him himself he was just well. going, you know and he said, again. He said, "Listen, I'm working with a really good guy here. I think you should go and see him." But next minute he was in a monster. And so, so he would have been a great leader, but he wouldn't have been, you know, inspiring people with his words. He just would have been a guy to follow all the time. Whereas, mm-hmm. I think leadership for the, the, probably the worst part of leadership was trying to have to give a give a speech or a. a I, you know, if we huddled up at the end of training, you might say a few words, and it'd be off the cuff, and it'd be very easy. But sometimes having to give a kind of a speech before we headed to a game was the hardest part because sometimes you actually wouldn't have anything to say. And yeah. You just feel like saying, come on, let's, let's just get on the bus and go and do it. But um, yeah, not always
0: that. Easy. I, I would have
1: struggled with it. I would have struggled with it because at the, I think it's easy captain a team when there's a lot of guys around you that potentially can captain the team. So. Um, so like the the monster team that would have won the European Cup that I would have captained in 2008 you'd you know, you'd run a Gara um, Peter Stringer Alan Quinlan Jerry Flannery oh, yeah. Marcus Horn Johnny all, all these characters that you know, could say a few words at the right time or do something at the right time or whatever so it was quite easy and mm-hmm. it probably got more harder maybe later on when the group became quieter and a lot of those older guys moved on mm-hmm. and so I went through a period where I struggled with it. And then at the end, I got to the period where, look, you know, this is, I'm actually not too bad at this, <laughs> you know. And I just got to accept this is the way I am. This is what it is for me. You know, I, I'm i a real outgoing personality on the rugby pitch. I'm i am around a long time. And I kind of accepted the leadership role towards the end. But when I accepted it, I i, I, I think I got better. at it. I also became a lot more relaxed. I mean, we would have come up in the, you know, the early 2000s, we were big Roy Keane fans, he was yeah, yeah. out, he used to come and visit us at games, and he was all about holding people to account and responsibility, yeah, and yeah. it was excellent but we were very tough on each other, and I think that began to work a little bit less particularly after 2010 when a different era of player came along um and it just became about really leading yourself and helping other players being better and um um, and and so so that was there was it was a big journey between mm-hmm. learning how to do it better. I think I was pretty bad at it at times. I think I was good at it at times and probably average at it at times as well. So uh, I think that's it's the same as playing you're trying to get better at it. you're trying to read things to get better at it. you're trying to talk to people that know about it to get better at it and you're trying to get some feedback from some of the guys you're close to. Um, so, so yeah, it's a cha- it's a challenge being a better leader.
0: Yeah, it? and it, you know you, you rise to challenges. Um, like whether it's getting up in the middle of the night to swim or whether it's getting out to train, it's it is the challenge that seems to drive you. And I think it's facing all that challenge and accepting that you're not going to do it right from the start, but putting it you know, putting a plan in place and then working hard seems to be the general theme with everybody around success. But I suppose is that applicable then to being a leader and a rugby player and then everything else it it seems to be. Do you have a, a kind of a, a system for yourself or a you know a daily routine that you've always you have to stick to? Are, I mean, you mean you mentioned at one stage about, you know, you prep it you went with the week of a match it starts your prep a week beforehand, and just so nothing could go wrong when it was coming to, I think it was Lions games or big international games. Right. It wasn't just the night before; you'd make sure you have your whatever. Uh, you, you, for the week beforehand, you'd be prepping everything, so you'd have full control over everything. Um, do you th- do you still have that now? Is that something that you've taken yeah. away from sport into life as well? or Are you a bit more chilled?
1: No, not 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 as much now. Mainly because I I do a lot of different things now, and one day is not similar to the next, I worked in Paris last year in coaching, mm-hmm. with that and it probably was like that, where I, you know, I knew I had certain things to, um, I knew I had certain things that I had to, that I had to do, and I knew there were certain things that really influenced whether I did my job well or not, so that goes back to the playing, and it probably goes back to, we had a Kiwi coach called Rob Penny that came in, yeah, and, and uh, whenever he did his one-on-ones, which it was, he had these sheets, and they were called, the big boulders um, oh, yeah. of your position, which comes from uh, Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective okay. people, which is the big yeah. the big rocks. So mm-hmm. so, towards the end of my career, I had a lot of injuries, so I couldn't train as much as I used to. So I, I just started concentrating on the real things that made a difference to me as a player, that made me better, the real things that I needed to deliver as a, as a player. So I used to write those things down on a Sunday evening on a one-pager, how I was going to knock those things off during the week, mm-hmm. um, and anything else I got done was a bonus. Yeah. Um, but these had to be done every week, so um, so that actually gave me a lot of peace of mind as well. Because sometimes, you know, I could be I could get to a Friday and I'd be kind of thinking, crikey, I don't know if I've enough done really, you know. And I'd be back on the in the in the team room on the laptop looking at footage, whereas when I had a big plan around my big rocks, around the really important stuff in my game, you know, I could look back on that one page or a, on a Friday evening. I could say, listen, everything is done now. The best thing I can do here now is remind yourself, relax, relax, have a bit of crack with the lads. Um, uh, um, and, and just be mentally fresh for the game tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd recommend that highly. You know, Joe Schmidt was a big fan of, of, of that as well. And, I think it comes from Wayne Smith, who, who's the former New Zealand coach. He's probably one of the best coaches there's ever been. And he was a big fan of this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective yeah. People. And it was prevalent in a lot of New Zealand coaching. Yeah. And uh, that big rocks thing, which is comes from the habit putting the first things first. Um, so the first things are the really important things. So when you plan your week, you plan your week around the important, high-leverage stuff that makes a real difference. Anything else that happens is a bonus and mm. um and and that made a big difference to me towards the end of my career in terms of my like peace of mind and in terms of being able to relax more around big games as well
0: and sleep and mind yourself and everything else and I, so i know at the moment just i mean coaching wise you've stepped away from that a little bit have you Correct me yeah if I'm wrong. I, I,
1: yeah yeah i coached in paris last mm-hmm. year um and I'd always wanted to live in France. We were supposed to finish our career in, um, in I was supposed to finish my career in Toulon and unfortunately got injured. And, yeah. you know, I had a real eagerness to, to learn the language. And we had a fantastic time down there. We had a fantastic time in Paris. We, we absolutely loved it. Um, but the club was a was a great club, but probably ran a little bit uh, differently to, 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 to how we do things in Ireland and how I'd like to see things done. So... Mm-hmm. I I stepped away after a year and we came home um and ended up working at the World Cup this year working at the Six Nations and TV which is yeah which is really enjoyable um coaching for me is 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 an incredibly enjoyable job but unfortunately it's it's actually when you're working the club game anyway it's seven days a week the yeah. game on Saturday. Um so you're gone all day Saturday. You've about six hours of video to do on, on uh on Sunday because the big one of the big meetings of the week is Monday morning where okay. you review the game. So, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are very very sorry, Monday, Tuesday are very heavy days. You generally try and take Wednesday off and, and Thursday, Friday are kinda of normal days. So it's you know, I have a lot of That's respect for guys that have coached. Yeah, I've a lot of respect for guys that coach professionally in the club game for a long time. It's 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 incredibly satisfying, but when you are three young young kids, it's quite difficult as yeah. well, and it's all-consuming. So, so
0: it wasn't a hard a hard decision for you to make, um, you know, leaving leaving France for now. Anyway,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The um the the puking in the toilets beforehand isn't something that comes up once you're going into TV. That's not something. That's something you seem to be taking in your stride a lot easier and enjoying. Or again, is this just a case that you you're put you're portraying that? How do you find it and is that stressful at all
1: I I enjoy it no it's not as stressful but it's 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 hard to be good at it You've, you have a lot of respect for I don't know but a lot of respect now for people that do that job really well and I now enjoy watching all sorts of sports just to listen to the commentators. <laughs> you know it's it's I, I I just I never realized and and then you it's, the challenge is kind of twofold. You know, we work in the BBC, so there could be 8 million people watching the game. Um, and for 7.5 million of them, it's the same as Wimbledon for us. This is the only rugby they will watch all year. Yeah. So you're trying to trying to not get too complicated, but trying to give them something interesting as well that maybe they wouldn't... They, they, that they can't they see. or Yeah. Yeah, so... So that's the real challenging thing. I think, you know, B T probably have much smaller numbers watching, but they're quite educated rugby people. So they they want to do it fairly in a Techn- fairly complex way and technical mm. and explains the technicalities of rugby. So so that's a that's a challenge and uh and yeah, you'd but you'd really have respect for the for the guys, some of the older school guys that have been there a little while, mm-hmm. for how they go about it and how they make it interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I I must say it's it's a whole that communication piece. I mean, Joe Schmidt to me was was a fantastic coach, and one of the reasons he was such a good coach is he was such a good communicator, such a good teacher. He could stand up and. Make something, explain something in a really interesting way that will grab your attention, and I think that's what the good people in TV do as well.
0: Yeah, for sure, they can grab you and 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 hold your attention. Now we our attention gets pulled so quickly. You see people sitting watching a game, and then also on their phone on the Twitter looking for you know updates on Twitter or whatever else it is. Yeah, so yeah. any anyone that can hold on to you, I think definitely is good. So the skill sets you've learned in your life, I mean. Sitting there in a in a in a changing room, captaining a, a Lions team five minutes before walking out onto a pitch, the the emotions, the the mindset, the thoughts, the fears, the worries, the anxieties, and the stuff that you've experienced there is I mean that's absolutely golden. So how do you do? You, what do you do with that now? Do you just hang on to that and you know be it the best dad you can be, or do you feel like you know is there a mentorship piece even? Um. Aside from sport, whether it's in business or whether it's in your community, you must be in, you know you have a huge amount to give to young men who, you know, who who re- definitely have all of those same fears that you have, but maybe you've never had the coaching or the have, didn't have the mindset to to overcome that. Is there is there? Do you have any interest in that in sharing that or helping or working around yeah. that at all?
1: Yeah, that that whole side of things I I really enjoy that you know. How people work and the leadership piece, the culture piece. I think one of the things you learn in rugby is that if you work very, very hard at something, you you know you can get good at it. It might take you a long time, um, but you can get very you can get very good at something from a from a very low base. And I, I think that's probably the one thing. That rugby players maybe have, or sports people have when they retire, they can take criticism because they're used to sitting in a meeting and being, uh, you know, n- nailed mm-hmm. and called out over things. Yeah. Um, and they know that getting good at something is probably a long-term project as well. So, um going back to zero and starting from scratch is, is not something that 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 intimidates them either. And I, I, I must say, I really do enjoy, um. Like even the conversation we've had here now today, I I, I really do enjoy because it's a journey. It's like a case study, you know. It's a journey that someone has gone on, someone that you can relate to. Probably a lot of the, I think we all have the same fears and doubts. We all figure out different ways of overcoming them. And the way that I overcome one uh, may not suit another guy. Like when I talk about the big rocks and and I show people how i would have done stuff you know i i just i i find it fascinating that some people of a certain personality go i love that i'm actually 100 percent gonna take that copy it make edit it make it my own do my own version of it but i love it yeah other people just go that's not for me at all and i think that's what's funny about about high performance is Everyone is different. I mean, when I talked to you there yeah. about going into the Jesse room and, and vomiting in the in the change rooms, you could come out. Simon Zebo could be there with his big headphones on, dancing <laughs> around the place, la- laughing, joking, juggling a ball, totally relaxed. Or oh, is that his practice. way of? Yeah, but we're playing the exact same game of rugby, you know. Mm. We are we are we are looking at the exact same game of rugby in two completely different ways. Uh, uh, and one suits his personality and one suits my personality and uh um and i can probably do it a little bit of his and maybe he can do it a little bit of mine yeah. but but I, I think that's really an interesting challenge as well is, is you know helping people figure out what works for them but i think one people once people feel they want to go on that journey of, of figuring out how to perform at their best. It's actually a very interesting journey. And you end up reading a lot of very interesting things and learning a lot of interesting things too.
0: Yeah. And that's what, you know, so I've had my own fears and anxieties as as I realized are normal. But one of the biggest things for me you know, running my own business And, you know, I I don't feel like life is all about business by any means, but it was my game and my competitive sport. I mean, I trained and played football and boxed and rugby, tiny little bit, and did everything else like that. But when it came down to setting up a business and the challenges around that, that's where I I got to meet those, you know, that self-doubt, that fear and, and that anxiety in extreme cases. And one of the most, um, transformational things for me out of all of this has been, uh, the the journey that set me on where i started to learn, started to read about it, started to realize that, you know what, Paul O'Connell sits on a bus with a negative story that he tells himself or, you know, mm. a, and everyone else that has been in business has experienced this and that is part of the human condition. And and like that, I feel like, so I remember one time where I was in the gym and for the first time ever, and thankfully only time I had a panic attack in the gym one time, <laughs> and overwhelmed idiot who didn't know what he was really doing for in so many parts of my life, but I I kind of believe there was the John before that and then the John after that because from there this journey of self exploration started and you know like you said the reading and the the learning and and I when you talk about sitting beside a psychologist who's talking to you johnny sexton or a another and taking those nuggets of information off them that's effectively what i absolutely that for me is is the best form of therapy is listening to someone else um, and talking about an experience or giving a tool to use for it Um, and and you know realizing that this is a, a global part like i say part of the human condition i won't say a problem shared because it's not a problem i think if you face this adversity um, head on, you find, you learn so much about yourself and you learn, you know, there's this opportunity for growth and this opportunity to, you know, this, to create this new tool set as such that, that can, you know, be transformed hopefully into other parts of your life as well. There was a line a guy said once, and I don't know if you actually said this, a friend of mine used the analogy, and I think it it was to do with yourself and Donaco O'Callaghan and is it, was it Sebastian Cheval or Cheval? Uh, was yeah. it hammer to hammer? Is that it? Did, is that a line that you used at some stage? Or someone, someone bounced it off me at the rugby game one time, saying we'll use that line anyway.
1: Um, yeah, well, we used to sc- hammer to hammer was a particular type of defensive thing we used in Munster, but I, yeah. I'm not sure what sense you're talking about using it now.
0: Well, the reason I'm saying it is that hammer to hammer is in, you know. Your your weaknesses, the way I, when I hear that and it, I know from a rugby sense, it has a different meaning, but hammer the hammer is attack the weak, either the strongest thing or the biggest, the biggest rock, attack that um, and, yeah. you know, and, and get in there. And that can be viewed in many different formats. And like you said, we all take our own bits from it. What I take from that is like, whatever that biggest fear, worry, self-doubt, whatever else that is, that's the one that you hammer. That's the thing that you go after. That's where you have to work, even though you want to run away from it. Um, and I think it's a it's a great line and a, a well a great a great sort of mindset to have towards different parts of life that are maybe holding you back a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we yeah that's that Sebastian Chabal thing. I think it, we would have kicked off a lot of the time. So he would have been a big talisman for for saying. So we would have actually kicked the ball to him to allow him to catch it. to carry at us. You yeah, know, so, I Remember, and, and we we we'd be able to kind of tackle him man and ball, so instead of kicking away from him, which yeah. a lot of teams might do, yeah. we were kicking to him, yeah. um, and kind of challenging it, him. But, it, but, one thing you said there about about, you know, you being a, you know, the, the CEO and the leader of your company. One thing we have in rugby that maybe, you see, your job maybe is more similar to a head coach, John. But what I had as a captain was I had loads of players, loads of friends in the team that i would have had massive trust in uh, you know we'd still have very good relationships to this day so everything i was going through they were going through as well so and you know you're sitting on a plane you might be talking about training about diet about um crikey my knee is at me but i'm still i'm still playing um i'm not playing well uh, you know and You've just all this advice. So people like Jerry Flannery, as I said, Cole Callahan, Alan Quinlan, David Wallace, Stringer, O'Gara, people who are your peers who have gone through what you've gone through before, or gone what you've gone through but look at it differently. So you're able to talk to them all the time, and I think you've these teammates that pick up the slack. And I think that's the challenge for Mm -hmm. you know maybe a head coach or, or or a CEO like you is that having people you trust to spend time with to talk to not not literally to sit down on the couch again like 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 a psychologist but people that you can shoot the breeze with about all these issues you're going through because history is just repeating itself constantly every problem you've had as a gym owner and, and, and in your other businesses someone else has had that problem and dealt with it badly or dealt with it well um, and it's just a question of talking to enough you know able to be able to be a little bit vulnerable in front of people to be able to lay out some of the problems yeah. and trash out some solutions with people you really trust uh, uh-huh. is is what we have that maybe you don't have
0: yeah well you know I do have it now and I suppose what I didn't have was the uh, awareness to open up to that and to reach out to that because you know when you do have a uh, you know, well, let's call it a mental health issue or a, a, roadblock of some description. We tend to only look inwards and not see anything else. So, I think, be, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that the people who were around me, um, I mean, someone we can both relate to the, the likes of the Peter Bastables and the uh, the people who who are successful in business, and they can just give you a pat in the back and go right, how are you doing with this and what's going on with that and and open you up. You know, you start to see this other side to to people and to the world, um. When you learn, when, I suppose if you allow yourself vulnerable is the wrong word, but allow yourself to be open to communicating, open to kind of sharing these things, and all of a sudden the, the problem shared is a problem halved. I think maybe in that sense, there's a great one that I think I've spoken about on the podcast before. They did a um a study with a number of years ago. A psychologist was talking to a lot of former military guys in the states who suffer from PTSD, and they did a whole lot of tests and surveys and. It turned out that a lot of them were suffering. They thought they were weak and that they had all of these issues wrong with them and uh, one issue that that one guy spoke about was when he go into battle he'd crapped his pants. And he thought that he was a you know, a weak person as a result of this and he thought that, you know, there's something wrong with him and, you know, shame and all the rest of it. And then when they started putting this in, as a question into uh, you know, started asking people about it a lot more, it became something that they realized that over twenty five percent of soldiers going into battle actually crap their pants and it's called a combat crap and it's it's something that you know it, it once everyone realize it's maybe not normal but not abnormal it completely have that kind of stigma and stress around it and okay why does that translate over to playing rugby or running a business i think it's because maybe we're so protected at different stages in our in our lives or some some people are that when when we do get exposed to adversity we feel like it's you know you can go two ways where you start closing in on yourself or you can start looking out, um, and I think the first part to looking out is realizing that it's it's you know part of the the human condition. Um, as a as a, a dad now, I mean, is it you have three lads, Paul? Is it three boys or uh, do you have two, two boys and a girl? Oh, two boys and a girl. Sorry, uh, as a dad now, are you finding that there's a whole new sense of challenges. That are uh, that are, are rising and maybe harder than a Lions team to run in in some sense.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I I think the thing is is you, you just your example is the big thing for kids because they definitely don't listen to what I say anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just got to give them the example, and then you know I think when they go down to their, you realize how important your local GA club or rugby mm. club are or your teacher in school is because sometimes, sometimes they listen more to those than they do to you. Yeah. Uh, Role models. Um, yeah. 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 And I look back at my, uh, my, my upbringing, you know, I would have played in GAA clubs and rugby clubs and played golf and swimming. and come across great coaches who, mm-hmm. who were real mentors and um, advisors to me when I was young and probably even when I became older as well. So, it's amazing, and you know, I do some work with Bernardo's. It's amazing, you know, if you have parents that are always pushing you to do sports or music or, or, or to, you know, that that they end up putting you in these environments where you learn so much. I mean, I, I was at a talk recently; a guy was just talking about kids and and, and mental health in kids, but he was talking about one of the ways that kids grow is about is by having obstacles and yeah. they probably don't have many obstacles. You know, my kids, we're lucky we live in a nice part of Limerick. We live, they go to a fantastic school, um, both both sets of grandparents are around, both parents are around, um, you know, and sports to me is a great way for them to get, to experience obstacles in life you know yeah. getting picked on the team not getting picked on the team losing games winning games
0: yeah getting yeah
1: a, getting a clatter in a match <laughs> you know getting slagged by other kids or, or or whatever it is you know so i think you're lucky when you have parents that are pushing you out the door to do sports or or music or drama or all these things where you end up having to interact with people and meet people and not everyone have that. Not everyone has that home situation where mm. the parents put so much effort into to pushing their kids because they really do learn a lot from the friends they have and 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 the mentors they end up having through the the sports they put them into and the schools they go to.
0: Yeah, it opens um, the doors.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And that that challenge is a book seeing as you're talking in books uh, The Obstacle is the Way um, have you ever heard that one Ryan Hollid, Ryan, I have Horry? I have I,
1: I, I, I've, I think I have it at home I've read a bit of it, it didn't, like a lot of these books I buy them read a bit of them and if they yeah, don't, you get the message, if they don't like, do it for me, if, I move on yeah. yeah but it's
0: effectively coming down to that whole thing about needing challenge and you know facing on challenge head on and looking at a way of you know you mentioned with kids that they need that they need to be challenged and that's how they grow. And I think it's, it's not just kids, it's, it's adults. And it's definitely something that as soon as we're not challenged, we become complacent. So what do you, what, I know you have a number of different things going on constantly, but like, what big challenge do you put in front of yourself now? Or what, you know, what sort of drives, drives you now? Or what sort of, I mean, is it learning music? Are you perfecting the golf? Is it just the business stuff? Is it everything?
1: Um, it's, it's probably a bit of everything really. And I would say I'm still transitioning out of the game, um, in, in some ways in that Mm. I do a whole host host of things, but I probably aren't, I'm not immersed in one thing like I was in, when I was playing rugby and that's where I would like to get to, um, I'm in no rush to get to there, but that's where I would like to get so to. So just you would
0: like because... to get immersed in something again? Is
1: that yeah, it's just, okay. it's, yeah, I think it's, 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 there's another book, another book that I haven't read, but Frankie Sheehan recommended it to me. Is, it's called The One Thing. and uh,
0: Well, I've seen that before.
1: Yeah, it's just, for me, that's when I was good at rugby. And that, even, even for me with rugby, I, I started trying to, um, do some other things, uh, outside of rugby while I was playing, and um, I realised pretty quickly it, it kind of affected my rugby. So I ended up having a very small cache of things I did outside of rugby. You see a lot of the rugby players, some of them, like Jamie Heaslip, had so many things going on outside of rugby, but yet he was the most ultimately professional player, I think one of the most ultimately professional players I'd ever met, and that suited him. It didn't always suit me. So, yeah. um, so I think sometimes different people are different you need to focus on one thing but at the moment we have my oldest boy is nine my youngest is two uh and and we're lucky we're lucky yeah we're lucky we got to experience last year living in france living Mm -hmm. in paris which is something we've been eager to do for a long time we were lucky that rugby allowed us to do that so so ultimately that's where i want to get to but uh, i would say i'm in no rush at the moment
0: Okay. And then just to mention Pinergy, um, a great a great little business that you've been involved with now for about four years, is it, or longer?
1: Well, longer. I'd say two thousand and was oh, involved really. since the business started. Okay. Uh, within the Gunnell and Peter Bastable and um it's it's been a great it's been a great business, been a great learning curve for me to be Involved in it on the sidelines. I know that you trained Peter Bastable.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm not going to claim that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a great, great experience, and you know, challenging times now. It's it's uh, I suppose seven years old, seven years old now. The business is, and they're probably heading into their toughest challenge now with, yeah. with uh, the coronavirus. So um, I hope it goes well.
0: Do you think? Um, and maybe you don't, but do you think if you were to, eh, let's say the, there's a, a broad audience listening to this and hopefully there is, I mean, if you were to give some advice now, because people that I'm talking to and you know, we're fortunate that we're still doing some coaching with people online and in the background, you might be able to hear Adrian teaching a class in our apartment, which is now a recording studio. I'm in the bedroom with the podcast recording studio. We, we, we've we adapted to this and, and that's fine. But I'm talking to clients, you know, a, a lot of people throughout the day. And the big message is that people are really feeling this mentally, you know? The yeah. fear, the worry, the anxiety, that the news, I mean the talk of whatever global economic stuff worse than the Great Depression. And that's starting to bounce out and, and really impact people and pull them down. And as a you know as a leader and as a man who's experienced this both with your own internal dialogue but also you know on on an international scale you okay, you're not going to step up there and and lead the country. But there definitely is words of wisdom that you have that you could share with people that might give a toolbox even as such of things to do.
1: The only thing I would say is, is, listen, I'm struggling as much as anyone else, but I would say just control what you can control. You know, you can't worry about um, things you can't control. Um, And then for us, and Emily is probably the one that put it in place here. Really, it's just having a routine to the day. Yeah. It's the it's the biggest thing for us that yeah. that has made things easier for us. Yeah. Um. Um. Around around kids doing their homework around us trying to get a chance to do a bit of work. Uh, around us trying to get a trying to do some training, and. Um, yeah, so that that's the only thing. I would it's say a having, having, a, having a routine, is so yeah.
0: important. Yeah, I agree. And the first thing I did when this, well, sorry, the second, first thing I did was panic a little bit and try and come up with a, a way to change things around and change how we work. And then the next thing I did was set my alarm clock for a time I get up every morning regardless so that I'm not you know, I, I get up and I teach, I started teaching a free class online um, and there was one person in it and now there's a few more and, you know, you, you need that routine because I don't have kids yet, hopefully soon, but uh, kids need routine, but I believe adults need routine equally as much uh, and I think yeah. and I think that's important. What about your own, you mentioned training there, you, I mean, how do you go from training with some of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world and in some of the most amazing gyms in the world to now having to motivate yourself to get out and do a bit of a bit of stuff, or what? Or what role does exercise yeah. have for you now?
1: Yeah, I did very little in the first few years. I retired um, and did did very very little in, in when I was in Paris last year. Working long hours probably didn't eat as well as I should have been as well, and and lost a lot of weight. Um, so since I finished last year, I've been training kind of three days a week, mainly just weights, circuits. Yeah. I did very little cardio. Um. A lot of it is, is rehab stuff for my back, mm-hmm. um, keeping my back, my glutes, and my hamstrings strong, and just a little bit of upper body stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I a very simple way of training. I have some dumbbells down here that, that I use. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. For the moment, that that's the training I do now with a yeah. few sets of dumbbells I have. I have plenty of bands, skipping ropes, and things just, like and that. Just just stay active. I'd stay active. We do about three hours an hour an hour a day. I go yeah. for a walk once a day. That's all I do. But I wouldn't be as I, I I was very very into training when I was playing, but I wouldn't be as into training now. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Flannery is it's his hobby. He loves training. Yeah. He you know he's not happy unless he trains. Yeah. If yeah. I don't train for three or four days. It's European. not the
0: end of the world for yeah. me, you know. It's so it's it's a funny one because I for me, if I don't get to do something every day, I not I'm not in the same boat as Jerry Flannery, but if I'm not doing something, I'm you know, I miss it. I want to do a bit of exercise. I like to yeah. push hard, lift weights, do whatever it is, go for a run and move, and it sets me up for success every day if I can get something in. And it's yeah. interesting to see that. And that you're not the first kind of former pro athlete that has, you know, has stepped away from exercise a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've done more in your career than most people would do in two lifetimes. So <laughs> that, that in itself is okay. Well, listen, Paul. So I, I could ask what's next coming up career-wise, but you sure, look, nobody knows that. Um, you know, remote punditry, maybe, and or, or who knows? But listen, uh, as always, um, it, it's an absolute pleasure to, to get some time with you and more time than I thought it was going to get um, and great chewing your ear and trying to get into your head a little bit and, and I think a lot of the tools you gave today and a lot of the stuff you spoke about will resonate with people especially now at the moment um, so thank you very much for your time and uh, I okay, hope you have a, a healthy and happy Easter go easy on the Easter eggs
1: we will do we we'll will do cheers we'll, we'll talk to you soon ok take care thanks John
0: thanks Paul